Alright everybody, this is your man El Jamal, and I am back again for another edition of Never Out of Bounds. This is the place where your Second Amendment is protected as long as you got the facts. We got a bit to talk about today. I got a really big story that I, I don't think I'm breaking to anybody, but this is definitely something that I think should be talked about. Uh, again, this is dealing with members of your press, your journalists around the world. And let's get right into it with this war on the street. Now, uh, Secretary Mike Pompeo visited Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and also Ankara, Turkey, and he's basically trying to get to the bottom of the disappearance and eventual murder of American, well, American, well, he was living in America at the time, uh, but journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Now, let's just give you guys a little bit of background. Um, I know you guys probably have seen the video, maybe, maybe you haven't, but I'm going to get into a little bit what happened in just a second to him, uh, but I'm going to get a little bit more into his background, uh, Mr. Khashoggi. Now, Jamal Khashoggi was born in Saudi Arabia. I believe he is of Turkish descent, uh, though, uh, but he studied at Indiana State University, and that's where he got his, uh, his degree. Now, he worked for numerous Arab newspapers papers throughout the 80s and 90s and then became a uh, foreign correspondent for the Middle East uh, for countries such as Afghanistan and Kuwait and also in North Africa Africa excuse me for the Sudan and also Algeria and it's also claimed he's also claimed to have had connections with the Saudi and US intelligence so these are very deep ties uh, very deep connections that we're seeing already. Now, he became co uh, controversial in the early 2000s when he served as an editor on a magazine called, I believe it was Al Watar, and he allowed a writer to do a column that criticized a venerated Islamic uh, scholar from back in the day. His name is Ibn Taymiyyi. Now, he is the founder of Wahhabism, and Wahhabism, I can't go too deep into it right now uh, just because of timing and the fact that I don't I don't truly understand it all myself, but I believe it's a uh, very uh, strict sect uh, within the Islamic faith, uh, basically one of the founding tenets of the Saudi kingdom, and it's very strict, like I said, uh, very, I would you would say, uh, in a modern, in western eyes, I guess you would call it right wing, somewhat oppressive, so on and so forth, but again, I'm not an expert on that. Uh, he also maintained connects, although he was uh, asked to step down from his position, he maintained those connects that he earned earlier within intelligence community, within the intelligence community, and also within the Saudi elite. So uh, the the rich upper class, uh, a lot of people affiliated with the government, so on and so forth. Now. Like I said, in 2010, he was first forced to resign as the editor of Al Watan. He was also responsible for other artists, no, sorry, other writers, excuse me, uh, putting out, I wouldn't say false propaganda, uh, but definitely anti-monarchy to a certain extent or, you know, anti uh you know, oppression, uh, so on and so forth. Now, in 2015, he tried to establish his own television channel in the country of Bahrain, but that was shortly shut down. And eventually, he would become a political commentator for the BBC and also Algeria, as well as many other networks, I believe, including CNN. Now, in 2016, he was banned from Saudi Arabia for Arabia for speaking out against Donald Trump. Now, this is when a lot of this stuff starts to get very iffy for me. So he spoke out against Donald Trump. Trump, but he was allowed to re, uh, relocate to the, the U.S., uh, living in Virginia, and where he found work at the Washington 
at the Washington Post. Uh, he will eventually speak out as a member of the Washington uh, Post. And I guess I guess the reason why he was allowed to come into you know the country, I guess, was because this was before uh, Donald became president. But just you know, Trump knowing that he was here, uh, knowing his connections with Arabs, you know, I I I'm just starting to you know try to put two and two together now it seems to be very uh iffy to me but anyways he would eventually speaking out uh he would eventually start speaking out uh through a lot of his articles uh for the for the washington post against this uh for one he spoke out against the saudi arabian blockade of qatar uh, another country in the middle east its clash with lebanon also diplomatic issues the country had with canada and the silencing of the press he also disagreed with the kingdom's arrest of women's rights activists uh, Loquain uh, Al Hatol, Iman Al Sorry, Nafija, and also Aziza Al Youssef. He also spoke out against Israeli settlements in already uh, Palestine, um, well, in areas where Palestinians already lived. Uh, he wanted uh, Saudi Arabia to return to a government without such Wahhabian influence. Like I said, Wahhabianism is a very strict. Uh, sect within Islam. So obviously people were oppressed. I'm just finding out myself that women have not been allowed to drive, which I think is retarded. I think it's crazy. But then again, who am I to say this is how people operate in their own country? But uh, yeah, but that's that's what he was speaking out against. And uh, he was he went missing recently. Uh, earlier this month, he went to the Turkish consulate uh, in Istanbul. He was obtaining some documents for himself, uh, for personal information, I believe. And he was announced uh, dead. So, uh, actually, he was announced missing at first. And it looks as though now the Turkish government is releasing recordings saying that he was uh, brutally beheaded, dismembered, uh, his, his fingers were cut off, so on and so forth. There's also footage of him being taken inside the building where he was uh, not seen again. Uh, but the Turkish government is claiming this was done by Saudi agents. The Saudis, of course, claim that they had nothing to do with it. The prince who's in charge of whatever goes on in Saudi Arabia right now is claiming they don't have any responsibility with it. And the U.S., of course, is, you know, trying to put his nose and they're trying to figure out what the big, you know, what's, you know, who really did it. Um, I think, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit there. I'm not going to really sit here and, and say who I think did it really. Uh, but I think the, the evidence is kind of clear. Uh, he was very vocal against a certain style of government. He was very vocal against a certain ruling class of people. And these people decided that, I'm just going to be honest with you, these people decided that it was best that he be, he not be around to do that. And you have to look at a ruler like Donald Trump who can just simply take whatever these rulers say, at certain rulers say at face value, and go along with it. Not only has he done that with, not only is he doing it with the Prince of Saudi Arabia, he also did it with Kim Jong-un. And we look at the situation now Kim Jong-un up until he decided it was good for him uh, he still was producing weapons I already told you guys about that they already caught him uh, producing two more missiles he had eventually come out on his own two or three months later to finally let it all go on his own terms but uh, definitely wasn't done under Trump's watch uh, Trump definitely tried to uh, push that along just like he's doing now well I'll take their word for it and uh, another report that I just got today was that there was a hundred million dollar uh, payment I'll just call it a payment just like it is given to the Trump administration basically in an effort to uh, cease 
cease whatever tensions are going on right now. So I feel as though there's something more to this than meets the eye. Uh, definitely some foul play and definitely a cover-up. Now, who's all covering up? I don't know. But it looks as though Turkey is not wanting to do with it, uh, want anything to do with it. And in my opinion, Turkey is, is uh, well, they are attempting, I would say, that because there's two sides that are in cahoots with each other. I believe that those two sides are, are attempting to, to make Turkey look as though they have something to do with it, make Turkey look at fault. And Turkey's trying to tell you, no, this is uh, this is not our doing. This is false, uh, mis you know, this is a misinterpretation, false representation, and uh, we're not going to have it. So uh, you take the, the facts with it, with you will. The, the uh, evidence is out there. The stories are out there. I suggest you guys do some more research for yourself. I have a, but I, I, rep I reported on this because, again, this is, a, again, a member of your press, a uh, member of, of who's, you know, of the people responsible for uh, bringing the attention of the, you know, bringing attention to the masses. And we do, you know, and, and during this, you know, administration, a lot of us, uh, you know, have, have gone on the, you know, on the path of, uh, you know, distancing ourselves from, you know, mainstream media or claiming to know about fake news or calling that out. But uh, apparently there is media that is real and it strikes a nerve because it is real and it, and it touches at home and it makes people react in a way that people have to go missing. So we need to uh, address that and understand that that is this. And I think that that should not be allowed to go on anymore. We do not get to allow to uh, shove these people to the side. We do not get allowed to, we should, well, government should not be allowed to silence these people. This is what these people are allowed to do. They are not here to cater to somebody, you know, somebody's image or make somebody look good. If what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is not uh, equipped equipped to handle what's going on in the modern world maybe you should change your way of government and the again the the fact that our president is easily swayed by these people easily impressed by these people because that's what he talks about uh he talks about these people vast wealth and how they run their country it to me he's gathering ideas that's how he wants to start doing his people i would be very cautious of his of his friendship with certain with some of these rulers i would look at how these rulers run their per, their countries personally and then i will go and then i will come Compare that to what Trump is doing. It's not that much different. It's not that much better. Uh, and it's unfortunate that members that speak out in this in this community have to be faced with any with this type of violence. We should be able to speak out good or bad. What's funny is that the, the right feels that they should be able to speak their mind and, and so on and so forth, but they have, I would like to know what they feel about a situation like this, where somebody is clearly speaking their mind, which is somebody is clearly against women who are fighting for their empowerment being locked up, somebody who's speaking out against their government's involvement in, you know, negative involvement in world affairs. I want to know your response to how somebody, you know, who speaks out against that ends up being murdered even though we should have the right to, to free speech even though you guys seem to have a problem whenever somebody seems to reach reach uh, open their mouth about trump so on that note i'm gonna take a quick break y'all and when i come back i'm gonna be talking some college football real quick uh just a just a brief uh top 25 rundown we're getting closer to the the college football playoff ranking release so we're going to talk a little bit more about my top four and also going to talk a little bit about nick bosa uh he's going to be on your draft boards pretty soon y'all look out for him he decided to walk away from college so we're going to talk a little bit more about that y'all all right 
Alright y'all, so we're back, and like I said, I'm going to go over the top 25 for college football real quick. Let's go through this top four. Of course, like I said, you know, we got the, the top four gets into the college football playoff. We're going to talk about them real quick. Let's go through Alabama. Uh, they're 7-0. They're undefeated in conference pro conference play with Georgia taking the loss last week I just feel like Alabama more so is going to run the table I think Georgia still wins the SEC East and they're going to have to score off in conference play but that matchup isn't as big as I thought it would be so I just look to Alabama to hold it out uh, just for a little bit longer of course and then we got number two we got Ohio State they're also at 7-0 and they're leading the big, uh, the big the big 10 excuse me I think they went out as well I think that game against Michigan is going to be really big this year Michigan is coming back from a lot of different games. Uh, they look stronger than they have in, in recent years. Uh, I don't think Michigan gets the win this year, but they definitely test Ohio State. It's a good chance to see uh, where their star their star quarterback, Darrell Haskins, is at. Uh, definitely a Heisman. He's definitely a Heisman candidate. I talked about him a couple days ago. They do have that. Uh, Nick Bosa is leaving. I will talk a little bit more about that. But that defense is still top of the nation. I think they, like I said, I think they win, went out in the Big Ten. They stay undefeated, and I think they're probably one of the final two. And then we're looking at Clemson at number three. They're at 6-0 and right now. Uh, they're lead, they're, of course, they're number one in, the, in their conference, the ACC. Uh, again, this is another team that I look to pretty much uh, went out uh, their conference is not that deep this year. Uh, that Miami game might be interesting. They definitely have to play NC State, though. Uh, NC State will be undefeated. Uh, they're probably more than likely, like I said, going to have to play Miami in the, the conference championship game. Uh, look for that. I will say look out for that NC State game. That could be an upset alert. Uh, again, I think they have a great offense. Trevor Lawrence, uh, although I would I didn't agree with Dabo Swinney uh, going with him, going with Trevor Lawrence as a starter over Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence can still ball. And speaking of Kelly Bryant, he does have a visit coming up this week. He will be visiting North Carolina, so there you go. At number five, I mean, I'm sorry, number four, excuse me, uh, the very last spot, we got Notre Dame. They're at 7 0. Uh, USC is probably going to be their biggest game on tap for this year. They were able to get past Michigan earlier this year. That was going to be their hardest game. I don't see really anybody challenging them again. Like I said, they got to face USC now. That might be it. Uh, but outside of that, look for them to run the table. I think this is a, I mean, I mean, outside of Notre Dame, this is something that we've already kind of seen for a few years. Now going in, Clemson, Ohio State, they're still in the mix. Notre Dame might be able to mix it up a little bit, uh, being that they're at number seven. But I don't think they're as strong as these other two teams, uh, was Alabama or Ohio State. I really don't think Clemson as strong is as strong as Ohio State or Alabama. But I really like the next group of, of teams right here. I like five through ten. Uh, let's go through them right quick. We got LSU at six and one um they got a big they got the biggest upset in my opinion of the year beating georgia 36 to 16 i'm not too sure if they played alabama yet but that would be a big huge game for them to win out if they were able to get that uh definitely they're in position to challenge in the in the, in the sec west like again like i like i said they still would have to play alabama uh they did drop a game earlier this year uh so that's keeping them right out on the outside looking in i think if if the judges wanted to uh I think they could look at LSU's schedule and kind of put them above 
Notre Dame, but again, that'll be a little bit too SEC biased to me. Uh, at number six, we have Michigan, who's turned their season around. They had an ugly loss in the beginning of the year, too, but they've been able to right the ship, and they are, I believe, se- yeah, they are second in the Big Ten. Uh, look for them to keep on challenging. That game against Ohio State should be a big one this year. Uh, again, I think they have Michigan State looming. Uh, that's a rivalry game, so that, that'll be a close one, too. Uh, but again, I, I think they have just what it takes to win. Uh, when out uh, that Michigan, I mean that Ohio State game, that should be uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be a telltale game for both both uh, teams. I, I feel at number seven we have Texas again. Like I said, Texas I, I believe is back. Uh, they're currently at six and one. Uh, they're definitely one in their conference. They're, they're number one in their conference. They have to take out West Virginia now, and I think that West Virginia game gets a whole lot easier. I think you saw what happened to West Virginia. If you saw what happened to West Virginia last week versus Ohio, uh, Iowa State, excuse me, they lost to them thirty to fourteen. I'm not saying that makes you know Texas a surefire winner, but I definitely make Texas a favorite by a touchdown uh, now. But uh, Texas is really solid uh, offensively. They can throw the ball a little bit, run the ball a little bit. I think they do give up a lot of points and uh, somewhat of a lot. So I would say some yards at yardage as well, but that's just the conference that they play in. Everybody plays offense. Everybody tries to score at least 50 points a game. So that's just something they're going to have to go with. And uh, at number eight, we have Georgia. Uh, they're sitting at six and one. They are at a six and one overall in terms of their record. Uh, they are number eight in the nation, like I said. Uh, very, very solid team. I still think uh, Jake Fromm did have an ugly game, though. Uh, that might be a cause for concern. Uh, they can still run the ball, though, and they can still defend. I trust Kirby Smart as a coach. I think they should be able to uh, stay stay in line until that Alabama game. Like I said, I pretty much find I pretty much still see them winning the SEC East. Although that game against Kentucky could be mighty close. Uh, going into number nine, we got Oklahoma. They're sitting there at five and one overall. They took that loss to Texas uh, earlier this season uh i don't know if they can jump back up unless texas takes another loss which i don't really see happening uh texas is a little bit suspect on defense but i think so is oklahoma so uh, oklahoma in my opinion could even drop one more game because they still have to play west virginia so they could even drop another game between now and the end of the season uh going on to number 10 we got ucf central florida uh i think this team is really great i don't think they get enough respect again this team has been undefeated since last year this is i believe a they are going on 20 straight wins this week uh so Again, I think they if they keep winning despite, and I think a lot of the reason why they're not ranked as high as they should be is because of the conference that they play in. They play in Conference USA. Not a lot of not a lot of ranked teams coming out of that conference. Not a lot of powerhouse names or household names coming out of that conference. So, uh, voters are gonna you know are going to look down on them just a little bit, but you've got to respect the fact that they haven't been beaten in over a year. So I, I would, I, I personally have them up in my, have them up a little bit higher in my personal list. I have them actually on, on the outside looking in. I have them at number, number five in my list, just because they've been undefeated for so long. Um, I actually have LSU above uh, Notre Dame. Uh, I know that might be a little bit SEC bias, but I just think LSU is a little bit better. So I have LSU in my top four uh, and I actually have, uh, 
UCF Central Florida up there at number six, just because I respect I respect winning. Uh, I think winning is a clear cut factor. Of course, you can say how you win and get into that those parameters, uh, yardage, of course, and stats that that does make uh, some sense. But again, if you're undefeated, you're undefeated, and they've been undefeated uh, going past last year. So I got to give them some props. Uh, number eleven, we have Florida. They're six and one. Uh, another team that I don't think. Uh, well, I mean, they're at a decent spot. You never know what happens. Uh, Georgia has already taken a loss. They have to play each other at some point. They have their big uh, rivalry game, if you haven't heard about it. Uh, Florida and, Florida versus Georgia, the war's largest cocktail party. They usually have that, yeah, they have that game in Jacksonville. That should be a solid matchup now. and Not as much of a blow-away win for Georgia. That should actually be a close one. That should be a, a, a exciting game to watch in the, in the coming weeks. And number 12, we have Oregon, they're sitting there at five and one. They are currently uh, on top of the Pac-12 North. Uh, they will be seeing Washington State this weekend in Pullman, Washington. Like I said, going into uh, into this episode, this will be the winner. This will decide the winner of the Pac-12 North. So they will, like I said, the winner of this game will be pretty much going to the Pac-12 title game. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, I think Oregon has. You know the wins already. Uh, they're they're already they're already number one in the conference. Washington State they're at number two if I'm not mistaken, or somewhere right behind Washington uh, in terms of just overall wins. So this is a very important game because, like I said, Washington will uh, Washington and Washington State have to play each other as well later on. And again, if we if we went out this game and pretty much went out the because I think who else can beat us? We've already taken that that major loss to Stanford. Not even a major loss. It didn't set us back too far, but like I said, we took that L against Stanford. Didn't drop too far. I think if we can win out, we can actually, you know, and just with the way that teams are already looking, I think Oklahoma takes another loss. UCF, you still don't know what could happen to them. And mind you, because of UCF's conference, if they take an L, they drop significantly. That's just the way these voters are. Uh, I, I think there there might be some LSU bias, but Oregon could could potentially you know, rise up this week to top 10, maybe even number eight in the nation. So I think this game is important. I think, you know, even for the Pac-10, I think somebody, you know, if we want, if, if the Pac-12 wants to have somebody possibly represent them in the college football playoff, this is where that contender is going to have to show up. So I, I, I'm looking for my ducks to pull it out and, uh, and hopefully they do it. Uh, number 13, we got West Virginia. They took that big loss last week to Iowa State. They dropped significantly. They were at number nine. They dropped to 14. Uh, they, you know, like I said, they still have to play Oklahoma, so they have some hope left. Uh, they still have to play Texas as well. Uh, they lost against Ohio, Iowa State. So it just it just looks really bad. And Will Greer, the Heisman candidate that they had, he really didn't play that well either in that game. He had a couple interceptions and just overall didn't look good. So uh, I don't know what's the next move for them. So at number fourteen, we got Kentucky there at five and one. Uh, they got one of the best defenses in the country right now, scoring and running uh, and rushing defense. So look for them to maintain. I think they might jump up a couple spots too. They might even get another upset before this year is over. They just look that good. On defense, I think I I I wish they could pass the ball a little bit better, so they so they would be a little bit more balanced. But uh, moving on, at number fifteen, we got Washington there at five and two. Uh, they took that loss to Oregon uh, last week. Again, I'm not saying this team is spiraling out of control. Uh, I just think the Pac-12 is just really that good, and 
and a lot of times we're being looked over. Uh, I think they, they, you know, get a win this week. I don't think they completely fall off the face of the earth. Uh, I think they, they, they are still in relative good position in terms of possibly t- uh, at least challenging for the Pac-12 title. They would have to get past Washington State at some point this season, too. That's going to be their last challenge, in my opinion. Uh, we got number 16, uh, undefeated team. We got NC State. Again, I put Clemson on upset notice for that, although I think Clemson can win out and keep their playoff spot. But if Clemson does lose that game, expect for them to drop, opening up the field for a lot of different teams. So, again, all these wins count um, the deeper we get into the season. Uh, Texas A&M is at 5-2. and two. They're sitting at 17. At number 18, we have Penn State. They're 4-2. and two. At number 19, we have Iowa. They are 5-1. and one. At number 20, we have Cincinnati, another undefeated team. They are 6-0. and oh. At number 21, we have South Florida, another undefeated team at 6-0. At number 22, we have Florida. I'm sorry, Mississippi State at 4 and 2. At number 23, we have Wisconsin at 4 and 2. At 24, we have uh, Michigan State at 4 and 2. And at number 25, bringing it through, we have Washington State at 5 and 1. So, like I said, two ranked teams. The Pac 12 is going down this week. And keep your eyes on the Pac 12. We're going to find our champion this week. That's my opinion. And before we uh, wrap up with college football, like I said, Nick Bosa, the brother of Joey Bosa, currently playing for the Chargers. Uh, the past, the the senior pass, I'm sorry, the junior pass rusher has decided to leave Ohio State and has decided to heal up for the NFL draft. Uh, of course, um, he's a, you know one of the preeminent pass rushers in college football. Uh, he's expected to be a number one prospect. He had four uh, four sacks so far this season, which is pretty good in about four games. Games, six tackles for loss and a forced fumble so that's all pretty good uh his issue was that he was suffering through some injuries earlier on i th- still think he's suffering through a core injury at the moment uh he had a surgery a few weeks ago so it would take him about five months to get healed so right around draft time um and we also won 28% of his one-on-one pass, uh, his one-on-one uh, matchups with pass blockers this season. Uh, well, actually last season, which is the highest of any returning player. So he's really good on the line, a really efficient pass rusher. Uh, I'm not too sure if I'm in agreement with it, though, because I feel like, you know, he's kind of... Well, I guess he has a body of work that shows for us, so I can't give him too much of a problem. I mean, I feel, you know, Ohio State is one of those those schools where they just produce football players. People don't necessarily graduate all the time because they get that million-dollar contract. So I can't mess well, – I can't hate on – I'm not hating on him so much for that. But I would have liked to see him kind of just see it out, uh, see how far he can go with Ohio State, uh, see how far Ohio State can go with him. Uh, it would be good to see him be a part of the national championship team. I know that he would get a couple trophies this year that will just solidify his number one pick status uh again i think again there's a there's, like i said there's a there's a possibility well he's number one he's a number one pick on a lot of different boards but again with him not playing that gives that gives uh ample opportunity for a lot of other people to be seen so he by the time april comes to that point uh, april comes here drive time comes here there may be one or two people that might you know 
might be uh, a first round or first pick at that point. So we don't know. Uh, but anyways, there's a bunch of teams that would definitely use the services, could use the services. The Cardinals, the Raiders, and the Giants are all being some of them. Uh, but like I said, he'll need a few more months to recover from his surgery. But that's his decision. He's looking to move on. So I got to respect that. Get your money, bro. So anyways, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk some NFL. I got an injury report for you guys. And then we're going to go over the standings. And we're going to go over my three uh, takeaways from last week as well. And uh, we're going to wrap everything up today. We're going to go over some uh, MLB playoffs, NLCS, ALCS. You know how we do it. All right, y'all. We'll be right back. All right, y'all. So we back on it. And we're going to get to this NFL news. And uh, Devontae Freeman of the Atlanta Falcons has been put on the IR with the growing injury. He also injured his knee and his foot earlier this year. Has only played in three games so far. Tevin Coleman will be the man to be picking up the slack now. He's only averaging 3.7 uh, yards per carry, though, so good luck with that. Uh, Devontae Freeman will not be returning until December 25th. That is if Atlanta feels like he, you know, they want him back or they're in a position where they would need him back. There's no point in bringing him back. They're just going to be garbage, and he really shouldn't be playing. You know, I could, you know, set him up for another injury or anything like that. So, um... They're gonna they're gonna t- they're gonna put them on IR for now, and it's just a sad case because Atlanta has been just suffering through injuries all season, uh, mo- more notably on defense. But Devontae Freeman, he's been emerging for them. I know last year he had a great season last year for them. I know he ran for over I think twelve hundred, almost fifteen hundred yards. So a really productive season for him uh, last year, and it just sucks to see him go along with everybody else. This team has been really struggling this year, and I think it might result in their coach, you know, might even possibly be get, be letting, getting let go um, just because, you know, they've been so far, uh, they challenged so far, and, and maybe this might just be the peak, you know, and, and maybe, you know, not only does he go, uh, maybe this team itself, you know, we've already heard about Julio Jones and his drama with, you know, how holding out with contracts recently. Uh, this team might look a, a lot different, you know, within next year or the next couple of years. So uh, just look out for that, y'all. And uh, let's go into the standings real quick, going into the next week. I think we're at week seven. Uh, let's start with the AFC East. The Pats are on top. They've won two in a row, four and two overall. They'll be, they'll be looking to go uh, to Chicago next week to take on the defensively stout Bears, uh, who did lose to Miami, but again, just have one of the best defenses in the league. And I think it's going to be another challenge for Tom. But again, he gets the job done against young quarterback. so let's see what he does. At number two, we have the Dolphins. They've been able to maintain. They still have four and two. They're tied, uh, basically for first. Um, they they've had a they had a a, a base. You know they had a rough they had a rough loss to the Patriots. I will say that, but it doesn't it hasn't taken away from them. They don't look to be deflated. Again, they have a winning record. Again, they're in a p- position where they can attack and take over first place. I uh, would not count them guys out. Uh, I would not. And at number three, we have the Jets that are sitting at three and three. Uh, that's a little bit surprising too, uh, just because they have a new quarterback. Uh, it is all the drama that they've been in, been in the past few years. Uh, just to see them at 500 right now at this point in the season, I think is good. Uh, they played a significant amount of games, uh, six games, uh, to kind of warrant uh, warrant this for me. Uh, I think they're at an okay spot. I mean. 
this is where you want to be with a rookie, I think, you know, uh, especially with all the drama you've been through, all the, you know, especially if you're a team that's lost a lot, uh, to, to be maintaining, I think, is just fine for them. Uh, they don't, I don't think they had great uh, playoff and uh, playoff ambitions right away. Uh, so, so three and three, third place in the division. I think it's it's okay. At number four in the division, we have the Bills, two and four. Uh, the locker room is in dire straits. I've heard they turn against Nathan Peterman, and it's just all bad. It's just a really bad situation. I think they should have kept Tyrod Taylor from the get-go. Uh, just, just really bad. Burn it all down. Run it all down. Start again next year, guys. Uh, going to the AFC North, excuse me. Uh, we got the Bengals still on top. Uh, they're four and two overall, although they lost that game against Pittsburgh last week. And again, uh, they've been looking a little bit suspect the last two weeks. Again, you know this. Uh, they're not. I guess they're not Kansas City. They don't have the most potent offense, but still, uh, they did. They have not looked uh, great the last couple of weeks. They've allowed the Ravens to maintain. Pittsburgh is still in the in the mix at three and two, and they're one tie. So, you know, I you know this is not a good spot for the Bengals. I would have wanted them to be at least five and one right now. It's just they just look like you know. I just don't want them to bungle this up. There's so much. There's so much. You know crap that people give them i just feel like the last couple games i don't know they just look like they could just mess this all up you never know like i said we have baltimore at number two they're still in the mix uh they're looking still still looking good in my opinion uh they can run the ball they're starting to pass the ball a little bit more they're looking a lot better and, and, it, and it just shows in the overall record so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pick on them this week uh pittsburgh they're trying to get they're trying to get right they're three and two overall with that one tie against cleveland we all know about that uh, again, another team who's, you know, looking better, uh, looking a lot better. Uh, I won't take anything away. I'm not going to beat on them this week. Uh, they had a solid one against Pittsburgh. I mean, against Cincinnati. I'm more worried about Cincinnati than I are than I am about them. So moving on, uh, we have the Browns. They're sitting at two and three with the tie, and uh, they had a tough game against the Chargers last week. Um, and that's just kind of how it goes with rookies. You know, I'm not. Again, they're in a position where they have a rookie quarterback, so I don't feel like I've. I don't feel like I need to bash them too hard to say where they suck at because we kind of know, you know, he's learning. Their their leader is learning as he plays. I mean, what can you really do? What can you really say? I mean, they definitely have a solid defense, and they're not they're not winless, and they have a good defense, and they have a good rushing team. Uh, they're first in the league in rushing, so they have something to work with going into the rest of this year and also to the next into the next season. I think uh, Baker Mayfield can progress, yes, but uh, they're definitely. I mean, what can you really say? I mean, other than they can get better. They can only get better. Uh, off to the AFC West, we got the Chiefs on top, of course. They're sitting at 5-1 overall. They have a terrible defense. We will get that, get to that in my three takeaways. We'll get more to that in a second. Uh, that's what I'll leave the, with them at. Uh, Chargers, they're at 4-2 overall. I think they're looking really resurgent. They look better than they have in, in recent years. If I'm not the Chiefs, if I don't get my defense together... I would I will be looking in the next couple of weeks to give the Chargers the the NFC West crown. That's just me. At number three of the Broncos, uh, dire straits, burn it down. I'm not liking it. Vance Joseph, I don't think he needs to be fired, but uh, maybe the I, I think what they really need is a solid running game, and I think they need to just stop 
thinking that everything is okay just in terms of their defense. Let's get some – I mean, I think you guys have a solid pass rush, but get you guys some linebackers, get you guys a secondary, and then we could talk about you guys still having somewhat of a great defense, okay? I'm not going to just give you a pass rush and just call it a day. The Raiders had a pass rusher for four or five years and still didn't do anything with Khalil Mack. That's why I sometimes play – them. that's why I'm willing to play devil's advocate with that trade. It's not like, you know, the uh, Khalil Mack was transferring our defense to a number one defense. We still could not – we still couldn't cover, you know, and I'd rather have players who can do a whole lot of that even though we ended up not getting that because we got draft picks but I still rather have that opportunity to get that in a draft than to be you know shelling out me as a dollar to a player that we know we can't afford that is not going to transform our defense so uh, moving on from the Raiders we already know that they're one at five there's not too much to say I'm kind of bitter right now but again like I've been saying we're destroying and building for Las Vegas we're in it for the long haul we have John Gruden for 10 years you have to just go with it uh, I'm not going to sit here and just cry and go boohoo we suck and all that no we'll we'll write the ship I trust if anybody I trust is him he knows football he's a football mind he just understands where this team is at this team has it been that good even the team even the year that we were good we still had our flaws and they showed up so uh we might as well uh really do it right we might as well take the time and do it right it's only done i mean when things are done when all the bases are covered and things are, you know, accomplished when all the bases are covered, when the research has been done and the right pieces are put in play. That's when you have the championships come in. You can't just expect Amari Cooper just to have great uh, a great year out of nowhere, even though we've had him for three years and he still ain't really done nothing. Uh, we can't expect a whole lot out of Khalil Mack if our defense as a whole isn't doing anything. Let's just let's keep it moving uh, and hopefully uh, time will tell. Time really is, is the determining factor in all things. The more time you're willing to put into something, the more the more the better it will be. So I think the more time John Gruden puts into the Raiders, the, the better the Raiders will be. This is a time, you know, process. This is 10 years. That's enough time to see this team out. You know, and you know, of course, I wouldn't I mean if, if it all got bad I, I would give him four years and just say, forget. I wouldn't give him the five. I'd just give him the four and say, look, this is completely not, you know. And then you'd have to be winless all four years. I mean, because I, I, I can see now that there's going to be some improve, improvement. I can see that he's he's consciously making an effort. It's just a hard, you know, you got cameras in your face. You got media in your face. You know, you. I mean, what can you really say? So uh, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let him, you know, live and let die. He'll get his he'll get his act together. He has ten years. <laughs> uh, moving on today, FC South, we have the, the Titans on top at three and three overall. Uh, this this division is the Texans for the taking. Uh, they're at three and three, also at number two. The Jags are at number three. Uh, I'm not believe I don't believe in the Jags. I don't believe in Blake Bortles anymore. Uh, that running game is suspect now without Leonard Fournette. That defense is suspect now. I don't know what to say. Like I said, the te like I've always, I never, I never left Texas aside. I had them as my favorite going in. I like, I did not like their running game per se, but I believed in Deshaun Watson. I think he had help enough help on the outside, just enough help on the outside to help him out. Also with the offensive line and their defense is just as good too. They have two solid pass rushers and a solid secondary. So I definitely like their position right now. I don't like the way to, I don't like the way Tennessee looks just on the eye test. So. I, I'm looking for the Texans to pull this out, and of course we have the Colts on the bottom at one and five. Stick a fork in them, okay? Just let's not talk about them anymore. Let's not worry about Andrew Luck, uh, what he's gonna do. Let's just worry about what he does next year. Let's just hope he stays healthy this year and they're able to move on to next year. Uh, moving on to the NFC East, 
And like I said to my, my DC fam, calm down. Your Redskins are doing all right. They're at 3-2 and two overall. And I think they can. The question with them is, and I'm going to ask this. It's going to be uh, my big question. I'll say this for tomorrow um, more into detail. I'll get more into detail about it. But can they stay consistent? That will be my biggest question with them. Uh, number two, we have the Cowboys. They're sitting at 3-3. Three and three. And at number four, I'm sorry, at number three, we have the Eagles to sitting at 3-3. Three and three. Cowboys are 3-3 three and three at Whit as well so this is a close division uh this is a very you know very evenly matched division i would say uh i think you know everybody on paper would say carson Wentz would have been the better quarterback that prescott would have been the better quarterback but i think uh i think carson might have better numbers but in terms of overall performance i think they're all operating on the same level uh the running games haven't really come to fruition yet just yet i think actually ezekiel elliott does run the ball a lot better but in the cowboys situation they don't have any receivers just like the redskins uh just like the giants the eagles probably have the best receivers but they don't have the best running game so they all have their little deficiencies i think the redskins do have the better the best defense in the division believe it or not i think the cowboys don't i think the eagles have the best pass rush in the division we will see how that plays itself out and the giants they're at one and five again i have to do a state of the union on the on them i have that together for y'all uh but they have a lot to address and this is not the year to do it they have some big things to address this is not the year to do it uh this this is a, they're gonna have to start they're gonna have to start one of those processes uh but anyways in the nfc west we got the rams on top they're still undefeated six and oh i think that turn continues at least one more week well actually you know what with the way they've been playing, I can't say that. I say this because, and this is off GP. The way they've been, they would the way that they've been playing. Any game could be an upset, so I'm gonna leave that at that. The Seahawks are sitting at number two, three and three overall, overall, looking a lot better. I'll get into that. I'll get into more of why in my three takeaways. Also, we have the Cards and the Niners bringing up. The bottom at one and five each. Stick a fork in both of these teams. Let's just wait till next season. Garoppolo will be back for the Niners. Uh, Josh Rosen hopefully will be better for the Cardinals. Uh, moving on to the NFC North, we got the break. The Bears on top. Uh, they are uh, three and two overall. The Packers are also three and two overall with the tie. Also, uh, the Vikings are three and two overall with that one tie. So uh, you know those three teams right there. Out of those guys, I don't. I don't see. You know who can win it out of those guys right now um again they're like it's like the nfc east both those teams have factors in which can push them over the top but both those teams have weaknesses that would keep me from as of today keeping them as my favorite uh the bears they have a great defense but you know mr Trubisky has to come along uh the packers they have aaron Rodgers, but that defense uh leaves a lot to be desired they have no running game and i'm a little bit i question i question his uh weapons i question his outside protection with terms his outside help in terms of his receivers and in terms of the vikings uh they have a great defense they have a a, a decent offense they don't really win the ball that well they have great receivers uh, the question is, can they be consistent as a team? Can they win two or three games in a row? I, these are things that need to be answered for me. And I don't see that. I don't see uh, those teams just answering that within the next couple of weeks, just automatically. And we have the Lions bringing up the rear. Um Again, another enigma. I don't watch too much of them. I don't watch too much of their football, so I couldn't tell you exactly how they look to me, where I think they could be. Uh, but just kind of what I've seen through highlights, what I can get through stats every now and again, uh, they 
you know, it's it's always a first. It's always a, a first go round sometimes for coaches. And you know, uh, Matt Patricia, welcome to the club, buddy. Um, you have a. I mean, you know, this is your first go round. This is your first year. I think you'll get better soon. I think you do have a defense, a pretty solid defensive mind. I think his defenses do play pretty well. They've had a pretty couple good games defensively. Uh, so they looking at. They looking. I mean, they're looking trash right now. Just gonna be honest, but you know. Never know. They can improve in the next year or so. Uh, and let's uh, finish this up with the NFC South. Uh, we got the Saints on top at 4-1, looking like a Super Bowl caliber team, in my opinion. Drew Brees, a legend. Uh, defense coming around. They're looking better than they're looking as good as they were the last time they won a Super Bowl. So that's why I say they are a Super Bowl ready team. Uh, the Panthers, they are at three and two. They're two in the division. They talk, They lost. They lost an ugly loss against the Redskins. It was an ugly loss against the Redskins last week. I don't mean to say it like that. Excuse me. That sounds redundant. But um, they didn't really play that great against the Redskins. Again, my Redskins fans. I think they have a comp- I think they have a competent defense. You have a competent defense. I think if your offense could catch a little bit of fire, you should be all right. Cause y'all had the Panthers not looking that good, and that goal line stance was great. Uh, the Panthers, you know, uh, they've been looking a little bit better. Uh, you know, Cam Newton, his his numbers personally have gone up, but again, I don't think they're a complete team just yet. I don't trust that running game, and that defense is old. Like I've been saying, that defense is very, very old. At number three, at number three, excuse me, we got the Buccaneers coming in at two and three, and then we have the Falcons coming in at number four. I've always, I've already said enough as I could say about the Falcons. Injuries, injuries, injuries. Pat Quinn might be fired. And as far as the Bucks. Injuries, defensive sucks, def- defensive line sucks, defense in general sucks. Their coach might be fired too. And this might also be James Winston, Winston's last year as a starter. Now, before I uh, wrap everything up for the NFL for today, I'm going to go over my three takeaways for week six. And uh, let's go over the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they put up 60 points in the last two games, although uh, one of their games was still a loss. A close loss, mind you, to uh, the L.A. Rams. Uh, they looked to be a lot better. Uh, even in that L.A. loss, they've ch- they challenged L.A. to the very end. They could have won that game, uh, given L.A. their first loss. I still think that game later on, the rematch earlier later on this year, will be a great one. Uh, I would put, I, I will still put L.A. on uh, upset alert just because of the way that they've been playing the past few weeks. And uh, one one reason why they look so great is the O-line has improved significantly. Over the past few weeks, they've been the number one O-line in the league. Uh, like I said, over the past four weeks, they've only given up two sacks, two hits, two quarterback hits, and only allowed the quarterback to get hit, I mean, to get hurried or to get pressured nine times out of, I believe, like 162 snaps. So a lot better, a lot better play. They're keeping them upright. They're allowing holes for the running backs. The running backs are running a lot better. And I think uh, they can push for a playoff spot. I think they're in a good spot to do that with. So I'm definitely uh, looking for them to improve even more. Now, uh, my my second takeaway is, of course, I was going to get into this. Kansas City has no defense. They are currently 27th 27th points allowed at 28.7 a game, so almost 30 points a game. I don't really care about how good your offense is if you can't stop anybody. That's just me. They are 32nd in yards allowed, uh, 31st in passing, 27th in the rush, and they're plus four in turnover ratio, but that's only because they don't really turn the ball over. But in the past couple weeks, 
uh, Patrick Mahomes has thrown interceptions, and if you, as you as you can see, that's come back to kind of bite them. Uh, they lost last week uh, to the Patriots, forty-three to forty. I personally think that uh, in that win, you saw a lot. You know, in that Patriots win, you saw a lot. You know. You saw a lot of weaknesses from Kansas City. They cannot get to the quarterback. They cannot tackle well. They cannot cover passes. Uh, this is a very significant problem. I, I, I know people might want to give the, the benefit of the doubt because they score so much. They are exciting. I'm not going to be the one to buy it because they still gave up. They gave, I mean, they still lost the game by giving up the, more, the most points. They did not score the most points in that game. So offense means nothing when somebody can score just as much as you. It doesn't mean too much of a thing. Um, and finally, I think the Packers are wasting Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he's currently thrown for one almost 2,000 yards, three yards away. Uh, he has a 12-to-1 touchdown ratio. But look at that record. Uh, not too much to show for it. I think, um, you know, they play the Rams this week. Uh, I think they're definitely on upset alert. Like I, I'm going to keep saying, the Rams are on upset alert because of the way they've been playing. But again, I don't, I don't know if Green Bay is the team to get it done this week. Uh, I, I just think they they don't have enough defensively. They don't really have a running game, and you know it's just sucky because you know Aaron Rodgers gives you all so much. He makes he pulls magic out of his ass almost every other week to help y'all win against the weak teams like the 49ers. And I don't think y'all have you know when you when you have to pull together just to beat the 49ers. I don't think you have you you usually don't have enough to beat the, the Rams. You know those type of teams when you when you have to when you have to scrape together to to beat the bottom of the barrel teams. Usually if you have to play a top team the very next week, I usually see a team like that get blown out or lose convincingly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the the, the Rams that game. And again, I, I just think they're misusing your boy Aaron Rodgers. And it's just such a shame because he's near the end of that career. And I don't think they have any shot at the Super Bowl right now. All right, y'all. So we're gonna take one last quick break. And like I said, I was gonna go over these MLB playoffs, ALCS, uh NLCS, uh, we have a, a game coming on today as well. We're going to preview that. And so, we'll, yeah, we'll be right back, y'all. All right, y'all. So we are back, and we're going to wrap up wrap up the show for today. And we have some baseball, some playoff action a little bit later on today, so about another hour or so. So we're going to get y'all ready for that. And we are getting ready for game five of the ALCS. The Red Sox are, I'm sorry, the Astros, excuse me, are fighting for their playoff lot playoff lives against Boston right now. They are down to the series, uh, down in the series against the Red Sox, 3-1. to one. Uh, The last game, game four, uh, the Red Sox were able to get a two-run victory. Uh, Mookie Betts came through with two uh, runs. He was able to cross home play two times. Uh, J.D. Martinez was able to get an RBI. Xavier Bogut had a great game, getting two hits and two RBIs. Also, uh, Rafael Denvers was also able to get a two-run homer. So, a lot of a lot of runs batted in for Boston. A lot of contact being made. They're looking to hit the ball again, again tonight. Really, that's kind of how they've been getting now. But they do have great. They have they have solid pitching too. Uh, Rick Porcello got the start uh, yesterday's game. He went for four innings, had uh, seven hits, four earned runs, three strikeouts. That pull, bullpen. Only allowed one earned run, though. Actually, two earned runs, excuse me. Uh, so, a pretty great game for them uh, over, overall, at least pitching the ball. Rick Priscilla gave up a few runs, but that bullpen was able to 
to get it under control. As far as the Astros are concerned, George Springer, one of their heavy hitters, was able to get an RBI. Jose Altuve, their star, all-star second baseman, was able to get an RBI as well. Uh, the shortstop, Carlos Correa, was also able to get two RBIs. In terms of pitching, uh, they had two uh, two pitchers get some action, uh, action yesterday. Uh, Charlie Morton went for two innings, had three hits, three earned runs, and also two strikeouts. Josh James also went for three innings, three runs, and he also had five strikeouts. Um, in terms of this game tonight, um, I got I got I got the Red Sox. Uh, they they have timely hitting. Uh, they know when to hit the ball. They hit for extra bases. This is something that you need to do in the playoffs. Don't just hit for the singles. Don't just hit uh, just for contact. Hit to get somebody home. Hit to hit for doubles. Hit for triples. Uh, this is the type of stuff Boston does. Uh, they just know how to to make it work. Uh, not to take anything away from the Astros, but one thing I will say is I don't think the the pitching showed up like it would normally do. The pitching has been off a little bit. They've allowed, like I said, they've allowed a lot of runs. They haven't really gotten a lot of strikeouts either. Uh, they've been trying to force a lot of ground outs. Boston's not a, t- a type of team that you will, you can get out like that. Uh, you want to strike them out. They know how to hit the ball. That's a team that can hit. Benintendi also, I think, got an RBI as well. So that's not a team that you want to just to try to pitch to get out. You, I mean, you got to strike those guys out. And I don't think uh, Houston has had that command on the mound in this series just yet. And it showed. It's really showed. Uh, and uh, moving on, let's go to the NLCS real quick. The Dodgers are currently leading this series 3-2. to two. Uh, Again, this was a series that was looking like it was all Brewers for a little bit. But the Dodgers have come back and won two in a row. Uh, they won the last game five to two. This game and this and this game looks a little bit like it could be a sign of what's to come uh, because every every other game so far has been relatively close within one or two runs. Uh, but this one, it looks like the Dodgers, the Dodgers bullpen and their starting pitching was able to really do their thing, uh, and just defensively they were able to do their thing all around. Uh, but let's get to the stats of this game. Uh, the Brewers, uh, they were led by Lorenzo Kane. Lorenzo Kane had two hits in the RBI. Curtis Granderson also had an RBI as well. However, Yelich, Kristen Yelich, their all-star. Their MVP nominee, uh, he was basically, he didn't show up. Uh, he went zero for four at bat. So that did not help them. Uh, a lot of people did not uh, went went hitless, so that does not really happen. Uh, that I mean that I mean that does happen when you're facing better pitching, but it should not happen is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Wade Wiley was taken out of the game after five pitches. It was later declared that this was part of their strategy. I don't know what the strategy is. Craig Council, get your team together, get your mind right. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, Brandon Windruff uh, got the bulk of the work though. He went for five innings, got five hits, three runs, and uh, got eight strikeouts so he didn't do so bad and the the Brewers bullpen tried to maintain but it just wasn't enough uh, again in terms of the Dodgers they were able to do some do some significant damage uh, Cody Bellinger he shows up again he got a hit and also was able to reach home uh, Jason Turner had two hits uh, he was also get a, was also able to get an RBI as well uh, Yasiel Puig also showed up he was also able to get two hits in an RBI and Clayton Kershaw I think this is a story of the series so far. Clayton Kershaw finally shows up in the playoffs. There's a lot that's been said about him and his performances over the past few years and uh, how, you know, it 
it adversely affects the Dodgers, and the Dodgers, therefore, don't always look good in the playoffs as well. And it's a lot the media makes of it, a lot that the fans make of it. So a win like this was pretty solid. Uh, Clayton Kershaw went for seven innings, so there wasn't too much you could say about his. It wasn't too much you could say about how deep he went. He actually was a factor throughout the game. He only had three hits, and he only he only allowed one run, and he also got nine strike strikeouts. That bullpen came in clutch as well. Only allowed one run, so they go five to two. And again, the Dodgers looked like they had a complete team. I'm worried, you know, I'm worried for the Brewers because if Manny Machado and Yasiel Puig show up, and Matt Kemp show up, and Turner show up, it's a wrap, and it's an ugly game. I do not think, you know, the the Brewers will be able to handle that type of game. Uh, again, I, I like, I do like. Uh, where the Dodgers are at. Uh, we've seen them lose series before, of course, so it's not over. It's not over to the fat lady scenes, but this is, I've, I've, I haven't seen this good of a playoff game from the Dodgers in a long time. So do not look for, do not be surprised if they can take this momentum and close this series out. Because again, they do have the talent. And if that talent does show up one night, it's, it, I mean, there's nothing uh, that, in my opinion, the Brewers can do at this time. All right, y'all. So we're going to wrap this up. Uh, good luck to both teams. Uh, I know the NLCS game six is going to be tomorrow, but good luck to both teams in the ALCS, ALCS tonight. Uh, the Red Sox and the Astros. That game was going to be taking off in about another i think 40 minutes uh my time west coast time uh so i will have uh some scores for y'all tomorrow night yeah that's what i'm gonna be putting out yeah i just thought about it i'll be putting out my next episode tomorrow night maybe saturday morning but i will be covering over both games uh like i said the nlcs will be tomorrow as well i have a state of the union address for the new york giants i'm going to be going in on them just like i went in on the Steelers and the radius previously and again i'll be doing you know, uh, state of the union addresses for all. I think I'm gonna. I, I, it's something that I'm gonna keep doing. It's like a. It's like a thing that I want to do uh, for teams in general that are just in dire straits that I think are just gonna be like trash or looking like they're gonna be trash. And um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it lit. And I'm gonna go into why. I'm gonna get into these stats as to why they're gonna suck. Yeah, we're gonna keep it lit. So um, we're gonna get into. Like I said, we're gonna be not trashing so much trashing the New York Giants, but really getting into what they what probably their next plan should be you know what they need should, should be doing probably in the next in the next year or so but also i had that freddy krueger review ready for y'all too nightmare on elm street one of my favorite movies of all time uh made by one of my favorite horror directors of all time Wes craven uh if you you know the name i've already talked about one of his movies before scream so uh look out for that tomorrow night as well uh we will be having a war on the street too all right y'all if anybody hasn't told you yet I love you, and I hope you guys have a good day. All right. One love. Peace out.